to welcome everybody to uh, Grace Bible this morning. Um, my name is John. I uh, attended here up until about two months ago, and uh, Pastor Trey actually, um, he was going to be gone this weekend. He asked me to come back in and fill, fill in uh, for him, and I will say it's really good to be back with you guys. Um, two months doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, it's just been very crazy, and it's odd not having a church to call home. Um, but it's, it's very good to be back home. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get busy. Uh, Father, you can be seated, by the way. <laughs> Father, we come before you, God, and just thank you for your love. God, thank you for um, just revealing yourself to us through your scriptures. I pray that as we venture through uh, Job chapter 1 today, that we would be reminded of um, how you were in charge of all, and that... Um, ultimately, you are in it for your glory, and uh, we just hopefully will choose to say um, at the end of every circumstance, uh, blessed be your name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, we're going to be uh, going through the book of Job. Um, you guys will be. Uh, Pastor Trey started that last weekend. I will be uh, finishing chapter one with you guys today. Um, this is a very, very good book of the Old Testament, written very early on. Um, the, the events of this book take place very early on in the history of the Bible, um, probably sometime um, after Abraham, very closely after Abraham. So uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 22 in chapter 1 of Job. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We're going to stop right there, actually, for now. Um, Something that I think we gloss over a lot when we go through the book of Job, is exactly who the players are in this. We we always focus on Job, we always focus on God, and we always focus on those guys later on that come and are just the worst friends that you could absolutely ever have. But often, I don't feel that we focus on what we learn about Satan here in this book. Um, Just out of these first few verses that I read, there's so much that we learn about Satan it's not even funny. We, we learn so much about his tactics, about the way he does things. And if we, if we take those and we think about those and we look at the circumstances in our life, it would be so much easier for us to see where he is playing into us and how he's trying to, to deal us our hand. So we're going to spend a little bit here at the beginning just talking about some of the things that Satan will do and some of the characteristics we learn about him. Uh, but, but even before that, we're going to start off, and we're going to talk about, it says that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, 
and Satan was also among them. So we know at this point that Satan has been cast out of heaven, that he was, uh, in fact, an angel in the army of God um, before the creation of the earth. And something happened. And we, we don't really 100% know exactly what all went down, but we, we get glimpses into what might have happened throughout the rest of the Bible. Uh, one of the places that we really get to see this is in Isaiah 14. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of short verses out of Isaiah 14 talking about this. Starting in verse 12. How you, are, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So we learn that Satan, uh, one, of, one of the things that got him kicked out of heaven was that he was very prideful. He said, you know what? I can do this job better than God can. I am going to make myself like him, better than him. I am going to sit above him, and he is going to be put under my authority, and that's, what, that's how things are going to work. And God said, uh-uh, not happening. I created you. I created you as the beautiful angel that you are, but you are not going to be above me because I am, I am below no created thing. Um, another place that we find out kind of what might have gone down is Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 12. Um, this is actually in Ezekiel. This is um, a, a prophecy against the king of Tyre. And what we see that is um, the people in, in the Old Testament and throughout all the Bible who did the evil things that they did, um, up to and including Judas, um, Pharaoh, they were under the control of Satan. So really, this prophecy about the king of Tyre is also showing us a little bit into the way Satan works. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries, so I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Um, we learn here that Satan was, in fact, one of the highest angels, um, that he was a very, what, what Scripture says, a very beautiful, beautiful creation. And his, his problem was pride. He just thought he was better, and he thought he could do better. And so... God said, no, you're out, you're done. Um, And also in Luke 10, um, 
Jesus says in verse 18, he says, even I saw Satan being flung to the earth like fire from heaven. Um, so we know that, that God kicks Satan out of, out of heaven. And so this point in Job, Satan is coming back, and he's coming back into heaven with the angels. And God says to him, what are you doing here? He says, you know, from where have you come? And Satan says, well, from going to and fro on the earth, going up and down on it. And something we learn about Satan here is that he doesn't, he doesn't really answer that question. He says where he's been. He says kind of what he was doing, but he doesn't answer the question that God asked him. He says, what are you doing here? So the, one of the first things we learn about Satan is that in his deception, he will take and slightly answer a question, but not fully. And so in that, in, in our minds, he puts this, this piece of doubt in there that says, is that really what, what, what God is saying to us? Is that really what God is asking us? Uh, we see this all the way back in Genesis when Satan first came and he uh, tempted Eve. He says, he comes to her and he says, is it true that God said, do not eat from any tree in this garden? That is not what God said. That is absolutely not what God told Adam and Eve. He told them, you can eat of any tree in this garden except for that one, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any tree except for that one. Satan takes God's words and he, and he turns them. And Eve says, well, not really. And then Satan says, okay, so that tree, I mean, did, did God really say that um, if, if you ate of it, that you would die? And that's not what God said. God said you will have the knowledge of good and evil, and it's not good. And so Eve, not knowing exactly what God said, says, no, he didn't say that, so I guess I can eat from it. It looks pretty good. Eve, not really knowing what God said, and Adam being the not good husband at that point that he was because he wasn't leading his wife correctly, that is what tempted us and... and is what is wrong with the world today. We know that. But that is how Satan works. He will take what God says and just twist it a little bit so that in our minds we're like, if, if we don't know our Bibles well enough, if we don't know the word of God well enough, we'll be like, well, I guess that's okay then because if that's really what God says. So one of the first things we, we, we learn about Satan is that he knows his scripture. He knows what's going on. He knows what he's doing. And his job, in his mind, is to take anyone who will listen to him and turn them away from God. Um, this, this idea of going to and fro on the earth and going up and down on it is Satan has gone across all the earth. He's gone across every, every plain, every valley, every ocean. He has found every person he can, and he has turned them. He has gotten them to where they do not reject evil. And he says this to God, and God says, well, wait a second. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And this is exactly what, what Satan wanted. And, and I'm not, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that Satan tricked God. That is not what I'm saying. God knew what he was there for. God knew that Satan was coming because Satan wanted to try and prove God worthless in the eyes of the world. 
And, and that's, that's what this boils down to, this whole idea of Satan trying to come and tempt Job, is he wants to prove God worthless. And he wants to prove himself higher than God. It still stems back to this very first argument, fight, um, confrontation between Satan and God, saying that Satan, Satan thinks he is better than God, and he wants to prove God's worthlessness to the people. Well, um, Satan says, does Job fear you for no reason? Does he fear you for no reason? You've put a hedge around him. You've given him everything you need, everything he needs. You've given him kids. You've given him wealth. You've given him possessions. You've given him health. Uh, you learned last week that Job had 10 kids, seven sons, three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, donkeys and very many servants. Um, that's a lot. I don't exactly know what that might translate into with inflation today, but it's a lot. It's probably more than even Bill Gates has. So Job was a very, very affluent man. And Satan says to God, well, listen, the reason he is, is not cursing you is because you've given him all this stuff. So God says, okay, I'm going to prove to you what my worth is to this man and what my worth is to the people of this earth. So he says, you can go. I, I give into your hand everything that he has, his, his sheep, his oxen, his donkeys, his servants, his kids, all that he has, I give to you, just don't touch him. Don't harm him, don't harm his health, don't harm his body. So what we learn here is that um, as Satan is so devious and, he, and he's got this idea in his head that he is better than God, he, uh, he's kind of dumb in that he thinks he's going to set a trap for God when on all essence, he's falling into the trap that God has set before him. Um, God is saying, listen, he's not going to curse me. I know Job, I know Job's heart. He's not going to curse me, but you can go ahead if you try because Basically, what you're doing for me is you're just proving my worth to the rest of the world. And so we learned that God is absolutely sovereign. Um, we learned this throughout all of Scripture. He is in absolute control over everything. And even the things and the times that Satan comes to us and tries to deceive us and tries to tempt us, ultimately God is in control of that. Not so much that, that God is sinning and tempting us himself, he is allowing these things to happen to prove his worth. So as we learn some things about Satan here, we also learn some of the attributes, attributes about God in that he is a jealous God. He is not only jealous for us, but he is jealous for our worship. He is jealous for our praise. He wants everything in the entire universe to know that he is God and that he is in control over all. And so when these things happen, when, when he let Satan tempt us, when he lets Satan try to deceive us, he knows that in the end, it is Jesus' name, it is his name that is going to be praised. Um, in the Gospels, I, I can't ex remember exactly where it is, um, Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, even if all these people are silent, these stones on the ground are going to cry out how worthy God is. God is not going to let his name be blasphemed 
in, into history. He's not going to let it happen because he is a jealous God who loves us and who is worthy in honor of all praise. So Satan goes. Um, I'm going to read verses 13 through 22 now. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't know about you guys, but at this point, when I'm hearing that my entire livelihood has been taken away, it's like, really? Really? I mean, this, this is really happening? You know, slapping yourself. Am I in a dream? What's going on? And then you got another guy. You picture, you know, you got three of your servants sitting in front of you, and you see another one walk through the door. You're like, just out. Out. I know what you're going to say. Just leave me alone. I'm done with this. Um, that's not what Job does. Um, verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, I'm going to stop there, actually. Um, this, the worst possible thing that could happen to Job has happened. He has lost his fields. He has lost his livestock. He has lost his family. He has lost his kids. I want you guys to think in your heads, what is the worst possible thing that could happen to you at this point? What is the worst thing that you could think of to happen? I'm not saying it's going to happen. Don't be surprised if it does. Okay? First Peter, he tells, uh, Peter tells us to rejoice in suffering when it comes. He doesn't tell us to rejoice in suffering if it comes. He says when. He says it's going to happen. You could be uh, drinking coffee in Paris. You get a phone call. I've, I've lost my family. You could be riding, uh, kids, you could be riding your bike to school, get hit by a car. Something. Calamity is going to come, and it, it's, it's going to be when you least expect it, because another um, attribute we learn about Satan is he likes to attack us when things are going really well. When we're at this point where, you know, you just, you seem like you can't be any higher on God's faith and he just takes it and knocks it all out from underneath you. And so, part of a preacher's job, and, that, and that's me at this point, is to pray for you and to pray for us that when the time comes, we don't curse God in, in the calamity when it happens. Um, and to also teach and to say, you need to expect it. It's going to happen. Um, and, and it could be anything. It could be minor. It could be huge. Uh, for me, in, in the past couple of weeks, actually kind of past month and a half, I was actually, I was, I was in the shower one day, and I was, just, I was in a rush because I wanted to go meet a friend for lunch. And 
I dropped the soap, slipped on the soap, bam, I fell and fractured two ribs. And I'm just laying there, and I'm like, really? I'm like, really? This, on top of it, I pulled the shower curtain down, and the bar hit me in the head. I'm like, that is just, that is just dumb. And so I got up, I, I went to the hospital, and, and me being me, um, didn't accept the pain medication they gave me. So I go, and I'm going for two weeks, and I'm not, I'm not learning. I'm absolutely not learning. I'm still going on, on fire and ambulance calls. I'm still running around. I'm still doing what I normally do. And this is even dumber than falling in the shower. I went to lay into bed when I got off of work one morning, sat down in bed, went to lay down, and heard this huge pop in my side. And it felt like somebody had stabbed me. And it ended up, after I laid there for about five or six hours in just ridiculous amounts of pain, um, I got up, had somebody take me back to the hospital, and I had broke both the ribs clean through that I had fractured and tore muscle. I'm like, okay, you should just take it easy now. You should just, you know, take it easy. I'll take the pain medication. Um, if any of you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you definitely know that I was liking the Vicodin. Um, <laughs> I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a druggie yet. But um, I'm joking. We, we learn from Job that anything can happen at, at the time you least expect it, at the time you're most vulnerable. I don't know about you. I'm no more vulnerable than I am when I'm in the shower. I mean, none of us are really, I don't think. So that's when Satan attacks. Be ready for it. Just because things are going good don't think that it's going to last forever. It would be fantastic if it did. But the truth is we live in a broken, fallen world that doesn't work like that. So we see Job's response to what has gone on. Um, not like my response, actually. Uh, it says, Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job knew. Um, God had revealed enough of himself to Job for Job to know that ultimately this was God's doing. This was God's working in his life, that it was God allowing... He, he may not have known that God allowed Satan to to take all that he had, but he knew that it, that it was God who was in control. So there are some really awesome um, theological truths that we learn from Job here. He says, um, in, in the, sorry, not he, but the, this first theological truth that we learn from this passage is that Satan's aim is to destroy our joy in God. That is his ultimate aim. It is to destroy our joy in God. All the joy that we have in, the, in what God has given us and what he has blessed us with and who he is, Satan's aim is to destroy it. And he uses two main weapons. Um, the weapon that he used here was pain. That's what he used to try and get Job to denounce God. And, and we see that throughout all of Job. But another one that isn't quite talked about here that I want to hit on for a second is pleasure. Um, he uses pleasure to make us feel that God is not everything that we need. He says, okay, um, 
you don't have a girlfriend, John? I'm going to give you a girlfriend, and you are going to just love her and, and, and be so infatuated with that that you're, going to, you're just going to forget about God, and you're just going to walk away. Um, hopefully, and, and that never happens, and thankfully it hasn't at this point, but that is one of the things that Satan uses. He uses pleasure. He, he tries to tell us, um, and, and the marketing world is, is Satan's just playpen. It is his sandbox that he gets to go wild and have crazy fun with because the marketing world tries to tell us that, um, you know, you stink. You're in stink hell. You need deodorant or, and that's true. I mean, we all do need that, but he may say, you drive a crappy car. You need this brand new truck, you know, because otherwise if you don't have this brand new truck, you are just in crappy car hell. So get this new truck. And then you go into debt, and you can't pay for the truck, and the truck gets taken, you can't make it your job, so on and so forth. He gives us these, um, these idols, and he says, if you just had this, if you just had this, life would be so much better. This, this pleasure, this life would be so much better. And he takes that, and he says, you're going to love it more than you're going to love God. Um, number two, God aims to magnify his, his worth in the lives of his people. Um, we really learn this in Job, that as God, I said it already, but as God allows temptation and, and calamity to come into our lives, ultimately it's because he wants to see, he wants to show the rest of the universe, the rest of the world, that he is worth something. He is worth something. It is him who's in control of it all, and it is him who hopefully, when Christians come to this point where they are suffering and in pain, they're going to say, like Job said, God has given and he has taken away, blessed be his name. Uh, that, that song we sang, that very last song that we sang, he gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me ask you guys this. The point when God gives, are you saying, blessed be the name of the Lord? I think most of us would. I, in fact, I think every single one of us would be an idiot not to. The moment that God takes away, um, whether it be a family member, whether it be your job, whether it be your ability to move freely because you have two broken ribs, whatever it is, when God takes that away, even for a season, are you still saying, blessed be his name? Are you still crying out and saying, God, you are good. You are great. You are worthy. Are you still shouting at the top of your lungs how good he is? Um, and, and ultimately, the way God does this, the way he aims to magnify his worth in our lives is that he redeems us um, through Jesus. He sent Jesus on the cross um, First, actually, he sent Jesus to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life. Um, Jesus went through the temptations that we all go through. And Jesus died on the cross. He was buried, rose again, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have his righteousness put on us, that we could be redeemed to the God of the universe. And this is the way that God um, brings us to him so that everybody can see his worth in our lives. So remember that as, as, as you're walking through life um, and the calamity hits, it's not just about you. 
It's about what God is doing. It's about God saying, I am worthy and other people are going to see this. So when, when other people in town or with when you, who you work with, um, who you go to school with, whatever it is, when other people see you going through tragedy, through suffering, are they going to see God or are they just going to see you crying like a little girl? No offense, girls. None, I, please don't take any. You could all beat me up anyway. So um, that's, that's what he does. Uh, and, and he won't trade anything for this. Um, like I said, God is a jealous God, and at the end of the day, his glory is going to be known. Um, thirdly, the- theological truth that we learn is that God, great, God grants to Satan very limited power to cause pain. Um, all that Satan has done is what God has allowed him to do, and it is all in his work. Um, in Job one twelve. God says to Satan, Behold, all that he has, that being Job, is in your power, and only upon himself do not put forth your hand. Um, God sets the limits that Satan has. Um, he's not frustrated or um, angry by the power and the subtlety that Satan has because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to come of it, and he knows that at the end of the day, his name is going to be glorified. Um, and, and we learn this about Satan as well. When, when he tries to deceive us, he tries to let us think that he is in control, that he is in power. Um, one of the ways that he did this with Jesus was he took Jesus to the highest point in Jerusalem and said, all this, all this out there, everything that is out there can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Satan is coming to the God of the universe who is in control over all and is saying, if you bow down to me, this can be yours. Satan is coming and telling Jesus something that is already his could be his if he worships him. I can't think of any dumber thing to do. That's like me going to Stan and saying, listen, you, you pay me and I'll give you this electrical business. Who falls for that? Seriously. We fall for it every day when Satan comes into our lives and tells us this little itty bitty lie, and we don't know our Bibles well enough to say no. Something that's so simple, that is so dumb, we fall for it because we don't know our Bibles. And we believe that Satan has power over us. This is absolutely false. Satan has absolutely no power over us. We, we, when we are redeemed children of God, he has no power over us, yet we fall for it every day. Number four, sorry about that. Number four, Satan's work is ultimately the work of God. Um, We've hit on this already. I'm going to hit on it again. Um, In this scene and in in, in this heavenly scene that we see in chapter one and and in the scene that you're going to see in chapter two next week, both times God hands Job over to Satan's power. It is God who hands Job over to Satan's power. And he says, listen, you're going to have limited power over him for a time, but ultimately it is his work. It is God's work who is allowing the things to happen to us. Um, And so when we read scriptures um, like Romans that tell us that all will work for the good 
of those who love God. We say, how, how can God be in control of something so awful when it says that he's going to work out, when, when he's going to work it out for our good? Um, and ultimately, I submit to you that in, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trials, you may think it is terrible and awful, but ultimately good will come from it. Even, it could be good that comes after, after your death. Uh, you, may not, you may not live to see it. And, and that's, the, that's the, the stinky thing about life and sin is that we are going to die at some point. We may not live to see the good come from it, uh, but it will because God is true to his word. He promised all the way back in Genesis 1, not Genesis 1, sorry, Genesis 3, when Satan first deceived Adam and Eve, he told the serpent, uh, her offspring, you are going to strike his heel, but he is going to crush your head. And so many years later, um, we know that Satan did strike Jesus' heel. We know that he hurt him a little bit, but that Jesus is in control and power over it all, and he has crushed Satan, sin, and death, and he has broken the powers of hell over us, and that we don't have to live in that power anymore. We live under the, we live under the power of God. We live by the power of God. So those are the four theological truths that we learn. Um, got just a few personal implications for us here. Um, number one, let us just join with the saints of old and the apostles and all who have come before us and all who are going to come after us in just affirming in our hearts that God is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely in control of all things. And it is him who does it, and, it is, and he does it because of his glory. He does it because he wants the universe, the world, everything, everyone to know that he is God. And so, it is a much bigger thing than us. That is, that is one of Satan's deceits to us, that the world revolves around me. That's just not true. If the world revolved around me, we'd be in trouble. If the world revolved around any of you, we'd be in huge trouble. It revolves around God's glory. And that's the way it was meant to be. Number two, we see in um, verse 20 of Job 1. Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let your tears flow freely when calamity comes. It is okay to cry. It is okay to be in pain. It is okay to grieve when things happen. Don't think that that's not, I'm saying it's not, okay? Don't think that I'm saying it's not. In all of this, when I say suffer well under Jesus' name, don't think that I'm saying don't cry. Because if you don't, to the rest of the world who is looking to see Jesus' power, they're going to see a cold person who doesn't care about anything. If, if you bottle it up inside of you and you let the rest of the world just think it's okay and you put on your, your mask and say, it's all good. The rest of the world is not going to see the God of the universe able to heal you. And number three, trust in the goodness of God and let him be your treasure and your joy. 
Even if, even if God had let Satan take Job's life, we know what Job would have said. We absolutely know what Job would have said. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. Um, Psalm 63.3, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. The psalmist tells us, God's love it is better than me able to walk around here. It is better than me able to live. God's love is so much better than that. So absolutely trust in what Jesus has done and trust in what Jesus can do in your lives. Because when you don't, you've let Satan win the battle. You've let him, you've let him win a little bit. We know that, as I said before, Jesus has overcome and that he has just broken Satan down and that Satan is not in control. But you give him that ego boost when you let him win. So as, as you go through suffering, as you go through calamities, um, a, a very good prayer to, to pray would be, Father God, thank you for l- counting me worthy to suffer for your name. Um, there's a pastor down in Texas. Um, his name is Matt Chandler. Last Thanksgiving, had a grand mal seizure in front of his two kids and was diagnosed with brain cancer. And through it all, um, I follow him on Facebook and Twitter, and, and I listen to the video blogs that he gives, the updates that he gives. Um, through all of this, when the doctors gave him two years to live, he is still going out preaching Jesus' word. He is showing that he trusts in God even when his life is at stake and his family's livelihood is at stake. He trusts in Jesus to do what Jesus promised to do. Do you trust in Jesus to do what he has promised to do? I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come forward and we're going to sing a couple of closing songs and that will be it for the day. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, um, to revealing to us that God, you love us. And you love us enough to not let us fall into the traps of Satan, that you love us enough to send your son to die on the cross, to be brutally beaten and murdered uh, so that um, he might rise again and crush Satan's head as, as you prophesied in Genesis 3 so that we might have eternal life and that we might have a life that is... Uh, just worthy of shouting your goodness and your praise. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your, for your worth. And Father, may our lives just magnify uh, what it looks like to, to live for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.